Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We are often around here anyway, talking about dollars that are spent by city council. How is the city using our money? What are our taxes looking like when the budget process is going on? How much more are we going to have to spend? Where are we going to be directing that money? Are we happy? All that stuff. Well, the Fraser Institute has collated, has gone through and looked at the spending by cities around Ontario. And some really interesting numbers about who is spending more and who is spending less. And right smack in the middle of this story is Hamilton. Toronto is spending more than it has before. Hamilton, though, in the last 10 years, and that counts from 2009 to 2019, Hamilton's spending way down per person on a per capita basis. We're spending more than 11% less than before. I want to bring in Jason Clemens from the Fraser Institute. He's an economist there. Uh, Jason, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. So when I look at this, I'm I'm debating whether I think this is fantastic because we've got city council that is not wildly spending our money and is actually maybe saving money compared to other cities, or whether I should be concerned that city council is not spending sufficient money to do the things it needs to do. How should I read this? Yeah, it's a great question. It's uh, As we refer to it, it's the second question, which is... The first question is what we've tried to do in the study, which is how much is Hamilton or other cities in the GTHA spending relative to the other cities? The second question then is, but what are you getting for it? And so, you know, if your municipality is spending average amounts or even lower than average, but you're getting good infrastructure, you're getting police services, you're getting parks and recreation, you're getting all those services we expect of municipalities, then you're getting a good deal. Now, on the other hand, if you're spending the same amount of money and you're not getting those services, then you're in a fundamentally different situation. But the first question is, how much are you spending relative to the municipalities around you? Um, And in fact, we will shortly be releasing a blog that details the categories of spending. So, you know, someone in Hamilton will be able to look and say, well, how much does Hamilton spend per person relative to Toronto or Mississauga or Oshawa or all the municipalities uh, around the GTHA? Because again, the, the first step in having these conversations is understanding how much you spend relative to the, municip- the municipality next door. Because and, and for that, let me jump in for this one second, Jason, sure. just to give that number. Uh, Toronto, according to your numbers, Toronto spent $4,605 per person. And again, we're talking 2019, which is when the latest numbers are available. Uh, Hamilton came in at 3,108. So $1,500 less in Hamilton than Toronto per person. Milton, not far away. Milton was the least, $2,629. Sorry, I interrupted. Carry on. No, no, no problem. I mean, the city that I would, because Toronto is unique in the GTHA in that they have quite a bit of infrastructure spending that falls on that municipality, even though, frankly, as many people in the GTHA know, it, that that infrastructure is used by many people. So I, I think what's interesting is to look at a municipality like King, which is the second highest spender. They're at thir- uh, 3742 uh, which is still more than $600 per person above Hamilton. So there is a, a reasonable gap. Now, again, the, the question then is what services and what, what are the quality of the services that, that people in that community in King uh, are getting relative to Hamilton? Or, you know, pick the neighbors right next to Hamilton and see 
okay, well, what are they spending in total and what are they spending by category? And have they figured out a better way to deliver services relative to Hamilton? Because to me, too often people only discuss one side of the ledger, which is the, the poor quality or the great quality of services, but not the cost or the vice versa. They talk about the cost, but not what they're getting. And you got to talk about both to understand if you're getting a good deal. One of the unique things about municipal politics and municipal budgeting is unlike provincial or federal, where you can run an operating deficit and just pile it on future generations in municipal, in Ontario anyway, you can't do that. So whatever you're going to spend this year, you have to raise that much tax to pay for it. So if you raise spending, you have to automatically raise taxes. That comes into this as well, because if Hamilton wanted to spend more money, it could do so. It could get up to the numbers that Toronto does, or if it feels it needs to, but that would automatically mean more taxes on people, correct? Right. Over the longer term, um, if you're going to spend more in one way or another, whether it's higher property tax, whether it's higher fees and uh, sorry, uh, fees and charges, um, higher development charges, it, one way or another, you got to get the extra revenue. Um, and so one of the interesting questions that I don't think enough people are looking at, frankly, when it comes to municipal finances is the degree to which municipalities are using developer fees, which are largely one time in nature to fund ongoing operations. And I think that's a really that dynamic is very different when you look at, say, provincial finances or federal finances, because those developer fees, depending on which year. Uh, can represent a substantial portion of municipal revenue. Yeah, and and that that may tie into the other part of this as well. There's a number of parts to this, but uh, what Hamilton is spending also correlates in some way to what it's bringing in, as you mentioned. And revenues in Hamilton, no other city uh, except for, I'm just drawing a line here, except for Oshawa. Um, we and Oshawa both dropped 10, per, 10 places in the pecking order for revenues over the last 10 years that the city is bringing in. So not only are we spending less, it's partially because we're bringing in a lot less money. Uh, right. Well, so we want to be careful. So, um, cause it's one of these interesting, um, departures between how economists think about things and how the average person does. So our numbers are all adjusted for inflation. Okay. So when you look at the total amount of revenue or the total amount of spending in Hamilton, it is increasing but it's not increasing enough to offset inflation and the growth in the population. And so when you look at per person revenue adjusted for inflation, it's down. That doesn't mean that per person revenue hasn't increased. In fact, it has increased. It just, again, it hasn't increased enough to offset inflation. Right, it's 10 Which, percentage points, uh, sorry, not 10 percentage points, it's 10 spots. When you rank all the cities in the province, we've dropped 10 spots, which is tied with Oshawa for the biggest drop in that. It's not 10 points or 10% or something like that, just to clarify. That's right. Real, the inflation adjusted per person revenues are down 1.2% over the 10 year period. But, but again, you know, like in our day-to-day -day lives, and certainly because we've been spoiled over the last three decades, in, the, in, in our day-to-day -day lives, we think about, I have $10. Like we don't, we don't automatically think, well, right, but if I have $10 today, that's really not worth $10 10 years ago. It's worth like $4 10 years ago. Right, right. Now, unfortunately, last year and this year, we really are thinking about inflation because every time we go to the gas station or the grocery store, we're realizing that the $100 we had in our pocket isn't going as far as it did two years ago. 
Um, but that's the way that we think it's important when we give these numbers to citizens to think about how did things change over time. You want to strip out inflation so that you're comparing apples to apples, $2,009 adjusted for inflation into 2019. And then we avoided 2020 just because there's so many anomalies um, because, of, because of COVID. It's a fascinating story about whether or not this means that Hamilton should be charging more taxes. I know people will blanch at that, including me. I don't love that idea, but whether we should be charging more taxes to keep up, whether we need to, whether we're spending enough, whether we're not spending enough. And the part about this, Jason, and you know, people around here, uh, everyone will have an opinion on whether the city is doing enough or not doing enough. Uh, but everyone may also have a slightly different view on whether they want to pay more for it. So um, it all becomes part of the story. Uh, it is a, it's a fascinating report by uh, Fraser Institute. You can find it online. It's not hard to find if you want to look at all the numbers for all the cities. Jason Clemens from the Fraser Institute. Thanks so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So the unquestionably the strangest story of the day today in the greater Hamilton area is this one that you've probably heard something about by now involving Rob Golfie, the real estate agent. You hear him on the show occasionally, you hear him on the station. Uh, you see his ads around town. Probably you've seen the ads either on a bus or on the billboards where he's standing with his arms outstretched. Well, that is causing him legal problems because a real estate agent in Minnesota says he owns the right to the arms outstretched pose. This, he claims it is his property. In June, this other agent in Minnesota who markets his own company with billboards and ads with his arms splayed out filed registration forms to trademark the pose. And there's a quote, Lindahl Realty LLC owns all rights, title, and interest in and to the arms outstretched mark. Okay. Got me thinking what is, I, I clearly am totally puzzled on what you are or are not able to trademark. I didn't think it would even be a reasonable thing to trademark a posture or pose or, well, let me bring in Rebecca Cooper. She is a lawyer with Shift Law. She specializes in trademark and copyright litigation. Perfect. Rebecca, thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. So this one, uh, I, th I think you saw the story. This one is totally baffling to me because I get the idea of a trademark for, I write a song and it's an original song and it's original concept and I trademark it and that makes sense to me. Or if I write a book or if I create an invention or something but the idea of trademarking a pose it, it, does this make any kind of sense to you or does this seem like it's pushing the, the limits well yeah it's, it's definitely an interesting one i think if we sort of take a step back um, and just talk more broadly about intellectual property law and sort of what's covered in that uh, because intellectual property sort of covers like you say, like you've mentioned, creations, creative things of the mind. It could be inventions, it could be artistic works, it could be names or logos for your brand. Um, but under the law, those are protected by either trademark, copyright, or patent, depending on what you're looking to protect. So broadly speaking, trademarks protect your reputation and your rights to a brand. So the things that you would be able to trademark usually are things like word marks, like your company name or your company slogan, um, or a logo, which is uh, like what we call the design mark. Uh, in the okay. last number of years, the Canadian Trademarks Act went, uh, underwent an amendment. You can protect more than just words and logos, um, even sounds, scents, and tastes. But the point of a trademark is to protect your brand, your ability to uh, affiliate your brand with your name and the goods and services that you produce in there. Well, w prior to this, the one that I always remember as being 
that I didn't realize it was possible. And you may or may not have heard this story once upon a time, but when he was the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, I think it was Mike or Pat Riley trademarked the phrase three Pete when they had won two titles in a row and were going for their third. And he trademarked the word three Pete. And I thought, I didn't know you could trademark a single word because, because I mean, why would not everybody go out and trademark all kinds of words and then try and get money for it? But I, I, I mean, I guess you can do even something like that. Yeah, you absolutely can. A lot of trademarks you'll see are for company names um, that are one or two words or often just one word. Um, yeah, it's definitely because the, the key with trademarks, though, is that you want to make sure you're protecting it in association with the goods or services that you're using. I was going to ask that. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be like, let's say your brand name, well, yeah, Shift Law. Let's say that somebody tried to brand, trademark the name Shift, but it was nothing mm-hmm. to do with law. You could still probably use that name if it was in a completely different context, right? Yeah, I mean, or it's not. Be tough to say on uh, on a sort of one-off without sort of more big sure. background. But uh, yeah, generally, if the if the goods and services are different enough, um, you're typically able to have more than one similar sort of name um, as long as they don't operate in the same uh, in the same channel of trade. Right, a more broad one. Let's say someone tra- well, Apple has obviously trademarked Apple, but people still can advertise for apples, and they're not suing them saying you can't call the fruit that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But the big thing with trademark laws, whether the public will be confused as to the source of where the goods or services come from. So if they're in the same sort of channel of trade and so the public might be confused as to who's actually producing these goods, that's when it becomes a problem. But if they're different enough and nobody's really confused thinking that one company is making the other company's product, it's usually it's usually safer. Okay, so in this case, though, it, it's you've got two people who are working in the same industry. So potentially you could say, all right, I'm going to trademark the real estate agent with my arms spread out. And that's my trademark. But if you're not doing any business, forget in the state or the city, you're not even doing business in the country. There's no crossover. Is there a problem with then someone else using that posture? Yeah, so that's that's where it becomes interesting with this sort of Canada-U.S. divide here, because trademarks are protected. If you register your trademark, trademarks are protected at the national level, so across Canada. Um, if you don't register your trademark, you can still have some protections under what's called passing off, which is the idea that if you think another brand is sort of passing themselves off to be you or to be producing goods that are similar to yours that people would think it's you, you can have some protection under that. Um, but that has territorial restrictions. So uh, somebody on the other side of the country with a similar brand might not be passing off of your brand if uh, the goods are in separate sort of areas so that the public doesn't actually see a real, um, a re- a real issue of, of, of one being the other if they're widely spread out enough. Um, but interestingly, um, trademarks, like I say, are, are at, when they're registered, they're registered at the national level. So trademark protection in Canada does not automatically extend to trademark protection in the United States. All right. And just to to clarify something again, and I think you've said this already, but I want to be sure there has to be some kind of financial impetus or something for this. For example, if I were to trademark for whatever reason, scratching my head, I could only go after someone for trademark violation if they were using that same thing to make money. I couldn't walk down the street and say, you scratched your head. You have to pay me for doing that. Yeah, I mean, to take another sort of step back at that, something like scratching your head as an action is not something that would normally be the subject of trademark law. So that's the I, that's the sort of but, difficulty with that sort of thing. But I would have said the same with spreading one's arms, and yet here yeah, we are. 
I'm inclined to agree with you. Under the Canadian law, I would I would see a difficult argument to be made for what is the trademark registration. But if, okay, so let's say someone had a trademark and it's slightly different, but let's say someone had a trademark on a song, which is very, very common. And I am a amateur musician who's playing a free gig somewhere. I'm not making any money. Am I entitled to play that song or do I have to pay rights for that to, to play it and perform it? So when we're talking about a song, we're actually going into the copyright sort of realm rather than the trademark realm. Okay. Um, since trademark protects brand rights, copyright actually protects the work itself. So things that can be copywritten or copyright protected are things like books, literary works, artistic works like paintings and drawings, and then dramatic works like movies and songs. So those are the things that can be subject of copyright rather than trademark. Um, okay. But yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, but, so, but yes, to answer your question about the um, the, the sort of the, the the infringement of copyright, um, if you own the copyright in like one of those works and somebody else is in, is is using it or is 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 um, reproducing it, you would have some rights under the Copyright Act for recourse. Yeah, but but there, would there have to be gain though? Does there have to be some sort of gain, or could you go after anybody for anything? If, if, I, if I was walking down the street humming your song, could you potentially theoretically say that's my song and you don't have the right to that? That In that particular instance, I don't think so because that would be sort of the performance of, of a copyright of the, of the song itself. Um, and that would have to be fixed in sort of a medium. So mm. if, you, if you recorded yourself singing my song and then produced it somewhere so that the public could hear it, that might be a different story, but just sort of singing it on the street uh, was, would not likely attract that sort of uh, that sort of copyright uh, infringement. Just, be- just before I let you go, and I didn't give you fair warning about this, so I'm, I'm I'm asking you cold on this. But are there any other examples that come to mind, like this one we're talking about with arms spread out, where you have heard about these and you went that that really seems like it may be really push pushing the limits of where I intellectual property extends do any come to mind or like do these things happen commonly or is something like this really uncommon i think i mean nothing springs to mind immediately as a specific example but i think there is sort of a bit of a misunderstanding with intellectual property law on the distinctions between things like trademark and copyright and patent and what you can protect and what you can't i think sometimes the words are used interchangeably so yeah i do think you see people sort of coming forward saying my rights have been violated even though they can't necessarily point to exactly what part of the law has been has been uh, the problem so i do think it i think it comes up more than we realize um and this was just this one that you pointed to is just sort of a really interesting one that i'm curious to see how that uh, how that plays out yeah it is it is it is a strange story for sure uh, rebecca Cooper, who was a lawyer with shift law you can find her online uh, rebecca really appreciate the time thanks for doing this today yeah of course thanks for having me it is, it is a fun story. I mean, I say, it's, it, I don't know if it's a fun story for Rob Golfi. It's a fun story for us to talk about. I would, I would encourage people to go and uh, take a look online. Again, you can see it at thespec.com. It is just, I, I could not imagine that you could trademark or put in a, a, a saying that that's my right. I own that pose. And, and look, if that, if that turns out to be, if he ends up winning this by some way, if this turns out that this other agent in Minneapolis, Minnesota is found to truly own the arms outstretched, I am, boy, I'm looking into a few poses myself that I'm going to trademark. 
why why not? Let's see if we can make some dough. Anybody who in any movie, I'm going to trademark picking my nose. And anyone in any TV show or movie or comedy or anything else who picks their nose, I'm going after them for some bucks because that's my that's mine. Now, let me for the record state this is not something that I pride myself on doing on a regular basis. <laughs> this is hopefully not what I'm known for. Uh, unlike this travel or a real estate agent, but you know, maybe it doesn't have to be picking nose. Something else. We'll find something. We'll find some way to make enough money off trademark to retire early. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I can tell you what BO stands for, but not that one. Bubba O'Neill is with us from CHCH. I, you know what? That, I, <laughs> that sounded way wrong when I introduced you that way. How are I you, know, my friend? I know. That stinks. Like, <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. See, my initials oh, are S I R. I got the initials, sir. I think I got the better half of that deal, but, you, you know, it's okay. Yeah. And Ben, yeah. yeah, Ben got BS. So, you know. <laughs> you want to know what's BS? And this is why I'm in a grumpy mood right now. Okay. All right. right. Hit me with it. Like, like we're watching, and I know this happens like for the men as well, too. So it, it, it kind of evened out here. Like, why didn't I get to see Elena Sharp shoot four under par today? You know, why didn't I get to see Brooke Henderson, the fifth-ranked golfer in the world, um, at a at a national championship, playing in front of her home crowd? Why didn't I get to see this 12-year-old sensation from Vancouver, you know, youngest ever to qualify for a CP Women's Open? Like, 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 why, Scott? Well, you know, it's something that I've been thinking about over the last number of weeks and months, and it's interesting you bring this up because there has been, if, if people have had their TVs on for the last number of months, there has been a lot, not just TV, but also on websites, sports websites, there's been a lot more coverage of the WNBA, of women's sports in general, and what I have been eagerly waiting to see, and I've seen no reporting on this, is are these games that they're showing having an impact on viewership? Are people tuning in? I, I'm not I'm not saying it sarcastically. I truly don't know the answer. I've seen nothing about whether or not ratings are reflecting. You know, we've always heard if you ex- give it more exposure, more people will watch. I don't know if that's showing to be true. In this particular case... I think it's probably got something to do with that, that covering golf, broadcasting golf is really expensive with all the cameras you have to have and all the people. And I wonder if they look at this and they say, we just can't possibly make it work financially. I don't know if that's the rule or not, but what else would there be? Yeah, but I see so many other things being broadcast, you know, especially that are homemade, you know, uh, broadcast. I just think, a one-off, like we're talking one-offs here, Scott. Like I get it. Like if the uh, a, a woman's particular actually, we saw that ESPN just signed a deal with the new, um, I guess, Premier Women's Hockey League. Um, they're going to be doing cover games. TSN will be covering games. Um, I just think for a national championship, whether it be because this is again, this is the same thing with the with the Canadian Open. Uh, for the men, that there's just no coverage, and whatever coverage is there is supplied by the Golf Channel. So yes, yes, you're or getting, CBS. So, 
Well, yeah, CBS on the weekends and your two days, your first two days are, are the Golf Channel. And you know what happens in those cases because we, 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 it, it's almost laughable because what happens is they're covering their golfers, which rightfully they should be. They're an American net, network. They're covering, they're covering those big stories of American golfers, maybe even some live golfers, and they give you this gratis Canadian attention. Like, did you know that the capital of Canada is Ottawa? <laughs> they give us this nonsense that we know. Yeah. And did you know that the national sport of Canada is hockey? Like, we get this nonsense. So why? Why? And again, I just rolled out a couple of examples and storylines which just sizzle to me. And why this Canadian Open, our national championship for women and for the men as well, too, cannot be televised by a Canadian network. It just well, blows and, my and mind. again, I yes, there's going to be costs. There's always going to yeah, be yeah. a heavy cost of covering things live, but I think there are some things that deserve the coverage. Well, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I don't disagree with you, and I, I, you know, I've said this about the Vanier Cup, which you know, thankfully, and even the the lead into that one, that's on men's side, but it's again, it's a it's a Canadian sport that doesn't it costs money to do it. And, um, the thing here is with the Canadian Open, the men, it's CBS or the Golf Channel because you have star American players in that who have an audience. I wonder how much it hurts the LPGA that they have seemingly so few American stars right now. They have a lot of Asian, amazing players from Asia. You have Brooke Henderson, who's from Canada. You've got, it, it's, I just wonder if there was a female Tiger Woods or even something remotely like that, if that would change things. Well, I mean, you've got, you've got a number of top American. Oh, there are players. There are players you've for got sure. Lexi Thompson, who's in, who's in, who's competing for every major championship. I mean, Nelly Corda, Jessica Corda, I can't remember what the Nelly, actually Nelly Corda was world number one for, for over a year, you know, and she's got a sister, as I showed her today, that's very competitive as well, too. I, I don't know if that's a good enough reason. I, I, well, I, but would anyone, Bubba, honestly, like, let, let's, let, no, no, they're no, great players. You and I don't, maybe you and I don't, but there's a, a, a there's a, a people that uh, follow this sport and follow that particular league and probably golf because I mean, golf to me, I, at least in my experience, a lot of even PGA fans they they follow the PGA as well too. Sure, maybe not quite to the exact science as if you're a golf fan, you're a golf fan, and especially if a a, a, a golf event is being held in your area, a national championship, would we ever stop to 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 not play the Open Championship? Would we not to, would we stop at anything not to play a U.S. Open? I, I just to me this falls into the no excuses. We used to uh, carry this event. We used to carry this event not on TSN, on the national network, on CTV. Well, you see, here's that. here's. I'll give you this. I'll, I'll give you this for sure that if there is a, a a network that should be stepping up and doing this kind of thing, we spend what one and a half billion dollars of taxpayers' money to fund the CBC, which is supposed to be picking up stuff like this Canadian, Canadian content that other places don't pick up. If anybody should be doing this, the CBC should be all over something like now to the CBC's credit, the little league Canadian little league championship, for example, they've done that. Most of it's online. They show some on TV, but that's an example of what you could do. This should be that. Uh, you know what? I, I can't, I, I'm trying, I totally agree with you, but I can't be with the, because I think they are doing 
maybe the best cover. They're doing the best. And, and, and take away the National Hockey League, right? Like, to me, that doesn't even count. But I think the CBC are doing better than anyone else in this country at covering Canadian sports. The, you had the, the games that were available, or at least feeds that were available for the Commonwealth Games. The Olympic coverage that they put, that they put together on their CBC Gem app, you can watch any sport, whether there's an announcer or not. Any athlete, any sport is covered. Um, that, that, the CEBL is covered on CBC. The, and, and show the championship game on the main. But it should be. Well we're, we're paying um, billions of dollars. It you know, should be. And this could be another one that, that goes right. on there because. But you know what? But you know what? Though? There's always going to be the ding dong that says, why are we spending more money on sports on this, on the CBC, right? There's always going to be that. And maybe that's Yeah, why. but you, you, cut, you answer the down. question. You answer yeah. the question you, by, by doing stuff like this. Brooke Henderson's in it. Okay, here's where we're spending our money. That, right. That's how you answer the question and, and knock down the critics. Right, I, I, I know. I don't know. I just, yeah, you're right. But I, 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 again, I find it hard to. They, you know, they cover the Diamond League stuff, so we get to see track and field. There are, I mean, rowing. That I, you know, we watched a lot of uh, uh, Adam Vancouverden, uh, and, and you know, in, in terms of his his career on CBC, all these sports that does gets very little attention. It's all available somewhere on the uh, CBC, whether it's on the Gem or their app or on the main network. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, this, I am, to, me, this is a, this, yeah. to me, this is the sports that are, uh, you know, the sports and TSN thing. No offense. I am I mean, they're so, working hard and I like them, but I mean. I am so intrigued. And I say this legitimately. I, I, and again, I'm not looking to, I'm not hoping for something bad to jump on. I am so intrigued to look in two or three years and see what the ratings are going to be for the WNBA, for women's hockey, for other ones, when we're seeing so much more of it, excuse me, on the sports networks, because the argument has always been more exposure will lead to more viewership. And this is, this is the Petri dish. This is the test to see if that's true or unpopularly, to see that, no, it doesn't matter how much you show, people still want to watch the NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, whatever. This is this is the real test because there is so much more women's sports on TV every single day now and on all the websites. It's better. Mm-hmm. Are people, though, watching? And I, tr- I, I don't have... That's not an expectation, Scott? I mean, if, you want, if, we, if we're ever thinking that the WNBA, or I don't know, say a, a WNBA franchise... Here in Toronto, if that were to ever happen, and I have a feeling it will at some point. I do too. If we, if, if we think it's going to match the Raptors' ratings, we're, we're, we're blowing our brains out here, right? So I don't think I, that. But I do believe. But I do believe there is growth. Look at our, look at our own Sarah Nurse on the cover of EA Sports. And, you know that's that's an honored thing to be on the cover of, of of an EA Sports game. It's growing. And I think I don't know I what the I, number is, Bubba. I don't know what the number is that I would expect for WNBA games. I truly don't. But I do remember. Maybe put it this way: once upon a time, the Toronto Raptors were getting like fifty thousand viewers on City TV. Mm-hmm. So there was a. It was a point when even that team was a non-event, and it grew into something. So I don't think it's fair to say what are they getting today and judge it today. You got to give it a few years, but. In two or three or four years, you're right. There should be growth and there should be enough growth, I think, that you say, I'm not talking about two or 3,000. I mean, let's say there are 50,000 watching a WNBA game now on Sportsnet. By 
two or three years from now, knowing that there's this much availability? Is it unrealistic to say, I think double within a few years is something we should say is reasonable? I don't know, but that that would be that would be reasonable to me. And it doesn't have to be a million. It doesn't have to be Raptors in the playoffs numbers, but I think you have to see something that says people are interested in this now that they know what's out there. That's the big thing. Now that they've seen it, are they interested in it? It's it's certainly not it's certainly not mainstream, but I believe it's a niche sport at this point that I think that can grow into something. What that is, I'm not quite sure because we've never gone down down that road before. Uh, but it does seem to it does seem to draw the big numbers when it's a big national event, when it's the likes of a gold medal game, um, you know, for you know the Olympics uh, with the women, soccer, hockey, sure, anything, basketball, yeah, for for soccer, the same sort of thing. I mean, when we saw finally Canada and Christine Sinclair finally get to the top of the mountain. I, I, you know, when it's on a worldwide national basis, I think the number is always there. You're right. And when it comes down to a league, uh, I think that number does drop significantly, but there has to be an opportunity for growth, at least uh, uh, given a shot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and when, it can, and so maybe in four years, maybe three or four years from now, we will be seeing the women's golf being covered by a local Canadian network because they say, you know what, there is the, attention there's enough interest in it that it makes it worthwhile for us to do it we'll see because i think all it takes is one of these sports i don't think you have to see explosions in all of them i think if you could see one of the women's sports that are being given more airtime now show that kind of growth you could extrapolate and say you know what if basketball is suddenly getting interest there's no reason why soccer couldn't if soccer is there's no reason hockey could you need one sport to get traction as far as viewership I just don't know. I just don't know. In this case, in this particular case, going back to our original conversation, I I, I just don't know what else um, Canadian women golfer need, golfers need to do. You have you have mm. you have the crowning, the final, the final of, of, of one of the great uh, women in this sport, in that sport that's carried the Canadian flag with such pride in Lori Kane uh, in her thirtieth and final event. Uh, like I said, this twelve-year-old sensation, youngest to ever qualify. And the most successful golfer, man or woman, Canadian golfer ever, is in competition at home. I don't know what else we need to do. All right, we got a couple of minutes. It's a, it's a topic we will definitely discuss um, further down the road. But I got to ask you because the U.S. Open is getting going. Serena Williams is playing in what is going to be, as far as we can, as far as we know, as far as she's planning her final tournament. Would you make the argument that Serena Williams is the greatest? female tennis player of all time it's not even a question it's it's, 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 the answer is yes because when you take a look at margaret cord who has one grand slam more she has the majority of her grand slam championships were won at the australian open when a time when many people didn't travel to australia it was hard to get to australia And, and in the eyes of many still to this day it wasn't even really a grand slam even when the men People like Beyond Bork did not did not go to Australia to compete at those events. So to me, modern day, I I put Margaret Court in her prime against Serena Williams in her prime, and it's it's a sixty minute match, in my opinion. Oh, it's not even yeah. And, oh, but but okay. So uh, to the first part, let's get to the first part in a second. To the second part, 
there is nobody from the 60s or 70s. I mean, you put Bjorn Borg, who was amazing, or John McEnroe on a court in their prime against anybody, against the 300th ranked player today, and they couldn't compete based on technology and diet and everything else. But here, here's the here's the thing. We always talk about, at least I think you and I have had this discussion before, one of the reasons that most everybody, one of the reasons that most everybody says Muhammad Ali was the greatest fighter of all time wasn't just what he did off or outside the ring and in the ring. It's the competition that he faced while he was there. There were so many amazing legendary guys that he had to beat. Joe Frazier and George Foreman and Ken Norton and all these guys. I don't think Serena Williams has had the same level of competition as far as the greats that Martina Navratilova did, where she had to play against Chris Everett and she had to play against Steffi Graf and she had to play against Monica Selish at the beginning. That's why I put Martina Navratilova as the greatest women's player of all time. It's not about, it's just, it's the the level of competition was harder for her. Well, I see, I see, I, 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 I totally disagree. Serena Williams, in my opinion, dethroned, who I think is the second best tennis play, women's tennis player of all time. And, I, and as much as I love Martina, and I love her story, again, again for what she did outside of tennis as well, too, and her level of domination in the, in the early to mid-80s is, is Serena-like, quite honestly. And, and I think too many times when we see dominant sports athletes, and this, is, this goes for, I mean, we got bored of Wayne Gretzky because he was so good. We got bored of Mary Lemieux. This is what happens when you're so good. People get bored of you. And we, we start reaching for, right, Michael Jordan is in that we start reaching for things like, well, I don't think the level of competition was there. She, Serena Williams dethroned Steffi Graf, like I said, who I think is the second greatest tennis player of all time. Dethroned her. Right? She, she pushed her out of the sport. And you, who, and, and of course, you think about all the other women that, I mean, that, that were out there, Justine Annan, these are all multiple Grand Slam winners that, that, that all you know, people love Maria Sharapova, right? Maria Sharapova's got what three, four, five? Yeah, maybe, slams, maybe. Right? right? There are many other go- many other golfers. There are many others that go in that in that category. But when someone is so good, that's why Serena's willing is winning. And let's not forget how good was her sister. Her sister won seven Grand Slams. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's well, her getting, sister. Venus was supposed to be the better one at the beginning. If everyone, if you can think that far back, so Venus, as I recall, she was the one who came along, and everyone was like, well, "Wow, not, she's going to be amazing." To, not according to the father. The father always well, said that Serena, he always said he always said, "You think she's good? Wait till the next one comes." And he delivered mm-hmm. on that promise. I would, I would though love, and, and your point, we got to run. I, I, I think your point though is is very good. I would love to somehow, and I've always thought this with every sport. If you could take the people from the past and give them the modern technology and give them the training, so you're taking their athletic instincts, like a McEnroe or a Borg or a Connors, or an or go back further than that, a Laver or an Ash or any of them, you take those athletic and tennis instincts and give them all the modern tools. I would love to see how they would fare. Because, you know, it, it it's it. This is the topic in boxing forever. Who's the greatest boxer? Well, you can't. Oh, for sure, it's you can't unfair. do it. You you just can't do it because you know today a heavyweight boxer 
what was Muhammad Ali? He fought at like 220 pounds. The heavyweight yeah. champions now are like 270. Tyson Fury is like a 280 pound guy. <laughs> and I don't care. Muhammad Ali, if you no were question. to, based on pure boxing, he's still probably him or, you know, there's an argument at his absolute prime that Mike Tyson, who knows, but, but you can't, if you put Tyson Fury in with Ali, Tyson Fury today against Ali in 19, the 1970 Muhammad Ali, Tyson Fury probably wins. I don't think that makes well, him a better boxer. He's just way bigger. He's well, way he's bigger and he's got at, better tech. Look, look at Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis was defended as the heavyweight title 25 straight times over the, over a decade. And, yep. and he, and he was what? 185. Yeah. Yeah. You put him in, he has no chance today, but if you were to make him modern Joe Lewis with all the stuff that the inner stuff, the, 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 the guts and the technique and the drive and everything else, all the stuff that made him Joe Lewis and put him into a 2022 body, man, I'd love to see that. Love to see that. Unfortunately we can't. So we just argue about it on the radio and in bars. (laughs) <laughs> that's what we that do is the best part at least we have some video simulations uh, video simulations that we can do these things with but i'll still say if you if you if you toss uh, serena a wooden racket uh it, it still would not her serve the power her size um her you know in the best of her days her court coverage even with a woman of that size i i i think it would it just would be, be interesting be interesting. I'll put. I'm going to put Martina. You could put Serena. Uh, and the best part about this is, I, I don't know that. And and, and Steffi Groff, as you say, and Chris Everett. I mean, there are. I think there are five probably that you could move around and have a good argument for all of them. But uh, this week, this week, I will say though, unquestionably, Serena Williams will be feted as the greatest of all time, and no one's going to argue it. We can <laughs> we can discuss this one later on when there's some distance and. Uh, we don't want to spoil it. Anyway, Bob, we got to run. Always appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, great conversation, bud. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.